Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Vacancies along our region's most important commercial arteries are pretty much inescapable across the Bay Area. Today we start looking at Mission Street in San Francisco, which Chronicle columnist Heather Knight notes has 70 vacancies in the 11 blocks between 19th and 30th. It's one thing that San Francisco's downtown is struggling and the problems there are well documented, but what accounts for the issues on Mission or out on Geary or over on Telegraph Ave? It all doesn't seem to bode well for Bay Area neighborhoods. So we'll talk with Knight, Sharky Laguana from the City's Small Business Commission, merchants and other experts to figure out why it's become so hard to make retail work. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. What's a city? For decades, they were places where things were manufactured and there were workers who lived close to the factories and distribution networks and retail businesses existed to support those people and the local elites. As most big cities deindustrialized, the nature of our cities has changed, but commercial retail didn't seem like it was going to go away. Even after years of Amazon and all the other delivery businesses, there were just some things that were better from the corner store or bar or nail salon. But man, you look around the Bay Area right now, and from the highest income neighborhoods to the lowest ones, there are just so many empty storefronts and commercial spots. So what's going on? Is something fundamental changing about our cities? Or is this just what you get when you pile the long-term structural issues for retail with the pandemic? Joining us to discuss, we've got Heather Knight. She's columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for having me. And we've got Sharky Laguana, president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission and founder and CEO of Bandago. Did I say that right, Sharky? Uh, there's two corrections there, actually. Uh, one is it's Bandago. Bandago. Uh, yeah, Sorry. And, and, and the second, and I hope this doesn't result in me getting kicked off the show immediately, uh, I just stepped down as president of, of the Small Business Commission. Out of here, Sharky. That's it. <laughs> oh, no, That's it. <laughs> just stepped down yeah. as the president of yeah. the San Francisco Small Business Commission. But you've been there for, for years. Yeah. Um, been yeah, yeah. president the, the, the past three years. That's great. Um, Heather, let's start with you. I mean, you've covered the empty storefront issue from a variety of angles. And in a recent column, you mentioned that just between 19th and 30th, like we were saying at the top, there's 70 vacancies. Has it always been like that, or is this a new thing? It seems to be getting worse and worse. I wrote a column on BSAP Baobab's efforts to open at 19th and Mission, and they're trying to fill a vacancy. They're surrounded by vacancies, running into a lot of familiar problems that we see in San Francisco whenever a small business tries to open. And I was pretty surprised to learn that there are 70 vacancies just between 14th and 30th just on Mission Street. That's a tremendous number. 
Oh, man. It seems like... And it's it's noticeable, and it's noticeable all around um, the city. Are the things that um, Bishop Baobab is running into neighbor complaints, is that the sort of primary problem, you think? Or are there other economic issues outside of kind of these neighbor complaints? I think they're a little bit more unusual in that their hugest issue is just some a few condo owners next door who are trying to block their plans at every step. But um, there are obviously bigger problems affecting small businesses, as Sharky knows <laughs> all too well. Permitting, um, finding a rent you can afford, building out is so expensive. Of course, the pandemic made it so much harder for restaurants and other businesses to survive. So it's just all of these things layered on top of each other is just creating a crisis. Yeah. So, Sharky, your term as president of the Small Business Commission, um, I mean, it spanned the pandemic, yeah. um, the, the worst parts of the pandemic. Um, Literally started just two weeks before the pandemic began. So That's wild. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw you there at a ghost kitchens uh, hearing. Yep, and then... yep. We, were, we were exchanging texts about that. Yep. And then, yeah, yeah. And then boom, uh, just a couple weeks later, it was uh, off and running. So, do you, the pandemic, was it like a... Uh, a step change or was it kind of like things were already drifting in this direction within San Francisco? Well, I think Heather uh, nailed it in that there's a lot of different issues. Some of these issues precede the pandemic and and some of them uh, became more exacerbated after the pandemic. Uh, You know, certainly high rent has has been uh, an ongoing issue for small businesses in terms of, of filling up storefronts. But uh, the pandemic really brought about a significant change. I, like that's, I'm, I'm newsflash. I'm sure all of you are, are, are uh, mm-hmm. uh, just learning this now from me on KQED. But uh, it, it's it, it's a sum combination of all these factors. It's it's multifactorial. But if, if I had to say that there was one thing that has had the biggest impact for all of our our local merchants, it is work from home. Uh, and there's no easy solution for that uh, because ultimately it's a lot easier for people to work from home. It's it's attractive, so why wouldn't they want to do it? Uh, and for businesses, in some in some cases, in some ways, it's easier for them too. So I, I think what you're seeing is a bifurcation between. Uh, downtown and the neighborhoods, and, and the neighborhoods are, are actually, in, in some cases, are, are seeing improvement. Hmm. Uh, and then in other areas, uh, you're seeing uh, a big uh, drop in people visiting. And then layered on top of that, the one issue that, that Heather didn't mention, but I know she's written a lot of articles about, is just the overall street conditions. Uh, and and that has also changed, and, and there's been shifts in what neighborhoods are easier to operate in. Um, just this morning, we were hearing on Twitter from a local business owner who, who closed in 2020, and they haven't been able to reopen because of uh, just a high degree of, of drug sales and activity right outside. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in the tenderloin. So there's a lot of different things that are, are contributing, uh, and the pandemic has exacerbated some of them and, and really hasn't helped very many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, just as we try to map out the set of issues here, and we're going to touch on this later with some different folks from merchants associations and things like that. Heather, one of the things that one of the dynamics I've never really understood is why building owners would want spaces to remain vacant, which seems like that it's at least part of what's going on here, right? Yeah, I've been surprised just in the past few days to learn of more examples. Reverie, a cafe in um, 
is this Coal Valley, I think, mm-hmm. um, is uh, facing huge rent increases and issues with its landlord. Um, I heard about an art gallery out by the ocean experiencing the same issue, big rent increases. Um, Tart to Tart, I heard about in the inner sunset, is also facing similar issues. The landlord's all of a sudden wanting a lot more money and not willing to negotiate, which it just seems you know, really unexpected and strange when we have so many vacancies, you'd think that landlords would be eager to fill their spaces as quickly as they can, especially with businesses that have proven themselves to be successful and, and good to work with. So that's been confusing to me. I'm hoping to delve into it yeah, more. I, I, I can offer a little bit of color on that. Um, so there's two things happening uh, there that I've heard about and, and seen and interacted with, with building owners on. Um, one is... Uh, your typical commercial lease is for a period of years. And so if, from the landlord's perspective, we're at the bottom of the market or they think things are going to substantially improve, they're going to be disinclined to mm. sign a five- or ten-year lease that in many cases might not even cover uh, their, the debt service that you know because many of these, these owners bought buildings at, at fairly inflated rates. And they still have to service that debt. So locking in a, a lower rent is effectively locking in negative cash flow. And so they don't want to do that. The other problem is this also could potentially be seen as a sign of weakness. So you would think they want to, they want to rent the space, but really what's happening is they want to sell the building. Mm. And they can't – if you try and sell a building that – They already, have it on the books that the rent is, you know, let's just make up numbers, $1,000 versus $2,000, then the cash flow – projected cash flow on that building is much it's, lower. It's actually time. not even about the rent per se. It is just, uh, you know, if you're a tenant, if you're a commercial tenant, you don't have rent protection, but you do have a lease. So if a new owner comes in and they say want to develop the building into housing or redevelop it – or do something different with that, they have to buy out your lease. So if you have a 10-year lease, they have to pay for 10 years of rent, just like if you were a commercial tenant and you left hmm. in the second month, you would still owe nine years and, and 10 months of rent to the landlord. Um, so it may also potentially be a sign that the landlord, uh, the building owner wants to do something different with the building sometime in the, in the foreseeable one to two year horizon. Interesting. You know, let's bring in Ryan Motzek, who's president of the Mission Merchants Association, to join our conversation. Welcome, Ryan. Well, hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, Ryan, um, I wanted to get your perspective on some of these, the different issues that we're kind of mapping out here about why it is that commercial space is remaining vacant. Just from your perspective, like if you had to say, here's my top two reasons why we have vacancies along Mission, what would they be? Cleanliness and safety. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We're in a cleanliness and safety crisis. Um, the neighborhood has turned into a dumping ground, and um, the presence of safety is just non-existent right now. And uh, people are, you know, not interested in coming in the neighborhood to shop or dine like they used to. And um, if anyone has, you know, taken public transit such as BART into the neighborhood or left the neighborhood, it's pretty scary wading through a sea of open air drug use and sales. So it, it's it's a crisis right now. And does that show up for commercial business owners, not just in kind of in reduced foot traffic, which is kind of, I think, where, where that's going, but also just like it's actually harder to operate because you just are, are dealing with people who uh, may not be in their in their right mind or who are, are really struggling. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say a constant issue. And, and I have a lot of um, businesses in the mission that reach out to me directly, you know, in real time saying, I've got this situation where there's a person that's clearly not well and they're, you know, starting a fight with someone in our, in our store that's just trying to shop. Um, I could, I, I don't want to list off any gross things that happen, but you can use your imagination. Um, recently I was looking at a one of our, uh, vendors Yelp reviews and a customer said they loved the food and the coffee, but they gave a two-star review because of the smells that were coming in from outside. And that's really sad. So for you, it would, it's, you don't, what you're hearing from your merchants is it's not really a, you know, landlord tenant match that it's really about the, just the, the difficulties of, of operating in the environment. Well, the landlord and tenant matches was a problem that existed, you know, prior to the pandemic. And I think the pandemic just exacerbated that. And I think uh, Sunrise Restaurant on 24th is a really good example. I believe their rent was doubled, um, which made it almost impossible for them to even break even. And then, you know, you hit the pandemic and after the pandemic and they just closed. Mm. Um, so so it's kind of like the, the pandemic was... And the way that I guess San Francisco is responding to the like cleanliness and safety crisis, as well as the the drug crisis, um, has really been a death blow to businesses in the Mission. Mm. We're talking with Ryan Motzek, president of the Mission Merchants Association, Heather Knight, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, and Sharky Laguana, former president of San Francisco Small Business Commission and founder and CEO of Bandago. I think I said that right that time. Um, Does your neighborhood or city have an empty storefront problem? Maybe you run a business. We'd love to hear from you. The number's 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. We're going to have more right after the break. Stay tuned. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the problem with vacancies, both in San Francisco and across the whole Bay Area. Uh, we're kind of using Mission Street as a kind of initial case study here, and we're going to expand things out. We're joined by Heather Knight, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, whose recent column about Bissup Baobab's troubles uh, inspired this show. We've also got Sharky Laguana, former president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission. Uh, we've got on the line uh, Ryan Mozek, too, president of the Mission Merchants Association. And I want to add in Ilana Proust, who's the founder and CEO of Recast City LLC, does a lot of consulting with cities around some of these issues. Welcome, Ileana. 
Thank you so much for having me. And it's Ilana. Ilana. Sorry, my, my bad. I read that wrong. Uh, Ilana, thank you. Um, let's bring in um, a listener, Gordon, who has a comment. Welcome, Gordon. Hi there. Yeah, I've been leasing and renting buildings uh, in Sacramento. And one of the other factors that I've encountered is the management companies many times are paid based on the average um, lease rate. And so it, they would rather have a, uh, a spot empty than to have a lower huh. lease rate that brings down the average. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and then the other... Go ahead, Gordon. The other thing is, uh, you know, that does it does directly affect the value of the property because they, uh, they value property based on capitalization rates and and leases and so uh every every extra dollar they can make will you know make a difference in the the valuation if they are going to sell yeah. or if they just want to you know, they just put it on their books and they uh you know their whole company looks better mhm mhm more successful that's so interesting. Th- thank you for that, uh, you know, on the ground uh, or in the books kind of perspective, Gordon. I appreciate that. Um, Alana Proust, I wanted to ask you, uh, I want to bring you on to talk about th- the, exactly this kind of issue that, that Gordon raised, which is just sort of how the difference between how the real estate industry might value or think about these kind of buildings and how local businesses might view those spaces or, or neighborhoods. Um, how do you see that playing out, you know, not just here, but across the country? It's a great question because what we're seeing play out is actually really similar across the country. It doesn't matter if you're in a big city or in a small town. And it's this combination of factors that everybody's been talking about here, right? The the cost of renovation of that space, if it's been empty for a while, versus the lease that you can get for it. That tax benefit, especially if you have if you're speculating on a property, you can take it as a loss and take that as a tax benefit somewhere else mm. in your spreadsheet. The cap rate um, that the the caller was talking about, you don't want to take a lower rate on that space because it impacts the underwriting value of that property if you're looking to sell it. And then we have these weird combinations where somebody, especially some of these anchor stores, might have a guaranteed lease. They might have paid for the next 10 years to keep that space empty hmm. so that none of their competitors can move into it. And then on top of that, we have this mismatch, right? This These crazy combination of mismatches that were starting up before the pandemic that only got worse, where the size of the space that a small business needs today versus the size of the existing spaces is totally out of whack. So a business might need 500 square feet or 1,000 square feet, but the neighborhood is filled with 5,000 square foot or 10,000 mm-hmm. square foot spaces. And then the question right now of, who bears the cost of building out that space for the business where we have a lot of small businesses that are barely making ends meet and they can't afford to pay for that build out. But 10, 15 years ago, the property owner would never have considered covering the cost of that build out themselves. Um, So there's all of these different pieces going on. And a lot of folks who traditionally looked at national chains are just not in the running to get those national chains anymore because they're reducing their number of stores. They're reducing the square footage of their footprints in general. um, And and they're just it's the markets change in significant ways. Yeah, they've got their own problems with uh, Amazon (laughs) and Walmart.com. Um, let's bring in another, uh, small business owner. Let's bring in Alice Kim, who's the owner of Joe's Ice Cream. Welcome, Alice. 
Hey, Alice, can you hear me? Uh, we will come back to you, Alice, in, in just a second. Yeah. Oh, Alice, Hello. there you are. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome. Um, so tell me about where Joe's ice cream is and, you know, the location and some of the kind of vacancies and how you feel like they're kind of playing into your business. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Joe's ice cream is located on Gary Boulevard between 8th and 19th, 18th and 19th Avenue in Richmond district. Mm -hmm. And I'm also one of the residents in Richmond district. That's great. And um, have you seen the neighborhood change since you bought the store back in 2012? Yeah, and it's not really fun to see all these, you know, small business going and big business is going out of the business and how my neighborhood is changing. Yeah, for the last 10 to 12 years. Is there just less foot traffic, like fewer people walking by? So I don't know which one goes first. Yes, right now definitely there is a less foot traffic, um, and with the less foot traffic, there is less business, and more business go out of business, and those empty buildings attract more homeless people, <laughs> and um, more graffiti is covered. You know, it's really, really easily covered by graffiti, and. When you don't have the feeling of safety and cleanliness around the neighborhood, who's going to want to shop and eat? Mm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's really hard to clean up and then deal with all those issues every day. So what do you think would help your situation? Well, um, any work that brings up the quality of my life, which <laughs> I think is having clean clean and safe environment will help it can be like you know little thing like fixing sidewalk trimming the trees and you know having less human waste around me or seeing less graffiti around me on the buildings mm -hmm. i think all those you know working on those work um those issues will help me but basically yeah. the clean and safe environment well let me ask this else if Nothing changes. Um, do you think you'll be able mm -hmm. to stay in business or is it really a tough situation? <laughs> for me, I live right around the corner of my uh, business, so it will be even harder for me to leave. But frankly speaking, yeah, at some moment, I really wake up in the morning and go to the business and start cleaning up all this human waste around me and, oh, and I need to paint that graffiti again. Mm. I feel like, Oh, should I really, can, how long can I do this? Because mm -hmm. uh, for me, it looks like a never-ending problem now. So I seriously sometimes think, that should I keep doing this here? Or should, can I live in my house longer? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it will be hard. I really want to see the change. And I'm trying to make a little, you know, like things by cleaning up and then fixing things. But I think we really need a bigger help. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Alice Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Owner of uh, Joe's Ice Cream on Geary. Thanks for just sharing what it's like to kind of run things on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> um, Heather Knight, I know, I mean, I, when I hear a story like Alice's, like it, it really kind of breaks my heart. And I know that you 
encounter these stories all the time as columnist at the Chronicle. Um, is this is Alice's story kind of typical of what you hear from small business owners? Yes, it's very typical. I wrote a column a maybe six weeks, two months ago, about a group of merchants in the Tenderloin who are dealing with a lot of these issues, but arguably even worse. And um, they have demanded their taxes back from City Hall for 2022 because they say they're just not getting anything in exchange. Um, I've been writing a lot about the police lack of response um, recently. You know, you call in a, a burglary at your small business and nobody comes, or maybe they come the next day. Um, there's no immediate response, no investigation, um, a lot of drug dealing and um, needles. And uh, like we talked about before, people who are appear to be in a mental health crisis coming into your business and, and disturbing others. And it's just all of these things layered on top of each other that's making it really tough. Yeah. Let's uh, bring in Rishi in Berkeley. Welcome, Rishi. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I wanted to call in. I'm a building owner, and the building is in Oakland. We were hoping we would get a building owner, so thank you, Rishi. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, there's two points I just want to bring up. One is that I'm noticing that a lot of the folks that want space want smaller spaces. It was mentioned earlier, and so one thing that we're trying to figure out is, like, you know, do we have the funds to put up a demising wall? How much is that going to cost, et cetera? And then how do you actually make that work per building code for certain buildings? That's very hard. Mm. Um, so that's one issue. And then the other issue I just want to share is that the one type of business that I get calls about all the time is churches. Mm. And so we are actually um, you know, leasing some space to churches, two churches actually, and the city doesn't necessarily want more churches. And so that's another kind of you know, misfit or uh, lack of good fit, where there are certain grants that are available for things like facade improvements. And then if you look, the exception is, but not if you're a church. Hmm. And so it's just something I just want to comment on and just get input on in terms of like whether that whether there are certain types of business. Another one would be a cannabis dispensary. I get a lot of calls about that. Hmm. It's like, are there certain types of businesses that, that the city just doesn't want because maybe it doesn't drive revenue or retail or foot traffic or, or whatever the issue may be? So I just wanted to see your thoughts on that. That's so interesting. Um, Rishi, thanks for sharing that perspective. Stay stay with us for a second. Um, Alana Proust, I wanted to ask you about this. I mean, one of the areas that you've been exploring are the kind of, well, maybe traditional retail, as we've known it, is not working in a lot of these places for a variety of reasons. So what else can go into these kinds of spaces? Absolutely. It's, a, it's exactly the question that we're asking in a lot of communities because traditional retail is just not, like everybody's talking about. It's not working because of lower foot traffic or um, for a variety of reasons. So how are we finding other businesses and other uses for these spaces? One of the kinds of businesses we focus on a lot is what I call small scale manufacturing. These are businesses that are artisans to advanced manufacturing, right? This is hot sauce, handbags, hardware, and, and San Francisco and the Bay Area has, has a ton of these businesses, but they can do their production and retail in that same storefront. But the question is, does the zoning allow it? Does the permitting allow it? And does the building code allow it? I love that the, the property owner talked about, you know, building code questions for micro retail spaces, which is a huge growth area across the mm. country because this is what business owners are looking for. They can't afford the huge lease, but boy, would they really love to have uh, a storefront in a space. We even have a great uh, project um, there's a great developer in Ithaca, New York, that he built a whole alleyway of micro storefronts, and he's actually getting above market for those spaces 
because the owners look at it, the business owners look at it as a flat fee, not on a per square foot basis. So for his market, it's a huge success. So looking at different kinds of uses like small scale manufacturing or these micro retail spaces mm-hmm. is really a key step. Yeah, it's like Temescal Alley over over in Oakland has kind of a similar setup. Um, Rishi, you know, I mean, just I want to read you one of the comments um, that that comes in. You know, listener writes: We go around and around in circles talking about this when the bottom line is always the same: landlords they hoard housing and retail space and terrorize tenants, abolish the landlord class. Like when you hear comments like that, like how do you see your role within this kind of local, you know, ecosystem and, and community as a building owner? I mean, uh, just to be totally transparent, this is a building that my wife and I bought with the aid of a lot of family and friends. So it's not like we own lots and lots of property. Um, and this one building is something that we poured our savings into, our life savings into, frankly. In terms of revamping it, it, w- it used to be a bowling alley and now, you know, converted into a restaurant that, frankly, is, is sitting open right now, uh, you know, and, and we're trying to get folks in there. Um, and so we're now kind of rethinking, you know, do we do we put up walls to make it smaller, et cetera? So this whole idea of, you know, terrorizing all that stuff, I think what happens is that folks get frustrated. And then when you get frustrated, you want to have someone to blame, right? Like, it's really hard to say, well, there's 30 issues that we've got to solve. It's much easier to say there's one. Yeah. And I don't, I don't see myself as, you know, the, the only stakeholder in this. I clearly like there, there are many stakeholders that have to figure this out together. And it's been a really long and frustrating journey for us, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of having this building empty. And we started with wanting to make the community better, wanting to create more foot traffic in an area that felt blighted. So we thought let's, let's play a role and, and, and do, and do this. And, and it's been very challenging to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Rishi, thanks for that perspective. You know, Sharky Laguana, I mean, when you're president of the Small Business Commission, I mean, one of the things that's interesting, right, there's small landlords like Rishi and there's small businesses that want to go into those buildings. Um, how did you end up, like, balancing the perspectives of, of those groups? Well, I think <clears throat> first I want to say that, um, you, you know, going to uh, what both Alice and, and Ryan were saying earlier, uh, you know, just the theme we hear over and over and over again is about cleanliness and, and safety. Um, and, and so I just want to acknowledge that, that that's something that you hear constantly from small businesses. Um, and then, you know, I, what Rishi just said is also something that you hear a lot of. And I guess the question, you know, from the commission's perspective, we were primarily an advisory body or are primarily an an advisory body. So we don't have the ability to dictate what government should do. We can only say this is what we think you should do. And so we've tried to, uh, you know, I, I really loved what Rishi said about it being a whole bunch of different issues combining uh, and so you have to unpack each and every one of these issues. I mean, just on this call, we've heard about graffiti. We've heard about uh, street behavior. We've heard about the cost of housing, the cost of retrofits, with the, the sort of granular details around building owners and landlords. And, and to make a material impact on this problem uh, of just vacancies, which is the symptom we see, you have to have meaningful responses at a policy level for each and every one of these problems. And so on the commission, we would uh, one thing we did that the commission didn't do prior uh, to the pandemic, prior to me be- becoming president, was we just issued tons of resolutions um, just encouraging policymakers to do different things. Like one of the things we advocated for was 
instead of charging small businesses for graffiti cleanup uh, or for graffiti being on the building, the city should just clean it up um, because it, it winds up costing almost the same amount of money as you know, sending out violation notices and inspectors and then sending out the fine. It's just as easy to send a paint crew out there uh, and, and just paint over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're actually- yeah, it's not as if the building owner is like, please come graffiti my building. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was, it's, it's sort of a, it, it is a mindset that developed over a period of decades that uh, in government just became very suspicious and hostile of businesses and, and commercial enterprise, in part because businesses were making, you know, particularly in the tech industry, they were making huge amounts of money. And so it was natural for policymakers to want to respond to that by, hey, is there some way to, to make this more equitable between the people who have a lot of money and the people who don't have any? But small businesses became collateral damage in that exchange and you know uh, unwinding that mindset and and becoming more in the mindset of how can we help small businesses how can we encourage them that's been a difficult transition uh, because we we don't have that muscle memory of of, of behaving in that welcoming and inviting manner. Yeah. But that's what it's going to take to get there. Yeah. Got some great uh, comments coming in. Our friends over at Green Apple Books write, this is definitely a multifaceted problem, but consumers have a lot of say in the future of our neighborhoods. Every time they shop local, it's a vote for their neighborhood. Every time they buy on Amazon, it's a vote against locally owned businesses. Shop local first. Also, bright spot, Lisa tweets in to say, Ocean Ave is thriving. Please take a look at Ocean Avenue in San Francisco. So many cool businesses have opened recently. It's a jewel. On the other hand, another listener writes, it's not just the mission vacancies along Geary Boulevard in the Richmond seem about 40 to 50% of storefronts, mostly mom and pop retail. Apart from being unsightly and depressing, the vitality of the neighborhood is seriously diminished. We're talking about the vacancy problem across the Bay Area. We've got a variety of guests with different perspectives. We try and map what's happening here and what can be done. We'll be back with some more solutions right after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the problems with vacancies in our commercial strips all across the Bay Area. Joined by a bunch of guests to help us kind of map and understand what's really happening. We've got Heather Knight, who's a columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, and her piece on the 70 empty storefronts between 14th and 30th along Mission is actually what inspired us to kind of take a take on this topic. We've got Sharky Laguana, former president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission. We've got Alana Pruce, who's founder and CEO of Recast City LLC, also has a book called Recast Your City, How to Save Your Downtown with Small Scale Manufacturing. 
Also on the line, we've got Ryan Motzek, president of the Mission Merchants Association. And earlier we talked with Alice Kim about her travails as owner of Joe's Ice Cream. Um, let's bring in one more guest. We've got Michael Gaines, membership secretary with the Lower Hate Merchants and Neighbors Association. Hey there. Thanks for having me. Hey, Michael. So it seems like you guys have had some success staving off empty storefronts in the Lower Hate. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what you all have been able to do? Well, I'm like I'm humbled by how, how challenging this is. Um, but, you know, this may fit into the headline of your re- results may vary. Uh, <laughs> I think there's some uh, macro and micro issues. I can't control the macro issues, the cap rates and other kinds of um, things up against landlords. But you know, Lower Haight is 9,500 residents. Um, we have about 50 merchants in a four-block radius. Our neighborhood, unofficial neighborhood, we're really District 5, is about a 10 or 12-block radius. And we lost about 10% of our merchants during the pandemic. We had about another 10% of turnover. So our numbers are smaller than, say, Ryan's in the mission, for sure. But I would say what's really been working for us is neighbor engagement. We're a merchant and neighbors association, which I think has been a winning formula for us. Mm-hmm. Um, where we're advocating for our merchants with City Hall, with Sharkey's department, which I think is now run by uh, Cynthia Sharkey, if I'm right. Cynthia um, Huey, yep. Yeah, Huey. And uh, she's been great. Um, you know, what I would say is, you know, we were able to get um, some grant money, Project Greenlight, which got us festival lights like they have in Valencia. We have a formula retail brand ban on large um, formulaic retailers, which so we're mostly mom and pop shops. Um, we became an SF Shines neighborhood, which was a huge grant, $175,000, 10 grand up for each uh, merchant for tenant improvements and various other grants that we as the association went out and found. And so I think that's been, you know, the, the parts that really worked for us, but you know, I don't want to sound by sound like Elizabeth Warren here that I got a plan, but I do have a plan. Um, and, you know, I would love to see um, uh, uh, Cynthia's group uh, have, uh, you know, ad- advocates or, if you will, agents, reps associated for each neighborhood. Because mm. when I talk to merchants, they don't know about everything that's available to them in grants and expediting, uh, permitting, et cetera. But that department does a great job. And more resources there by the city would be great. I think we need a retail vacancy tax, not just uh, a resident one. Um, I think landlords are sitting on these properties. We have we have some that are vacant for years. We have one that's been vacant for twenty years, across from our cafe Reve, which is which we attracted to come to the neighborhood. By the way, and we didn't allow Blue Bottle to come. Um, uh, we actually fought that um, and. Uh, you know, we've done things like found the owners of some of these buildings. Some of them are retired, don't have a lot of money. We found one. We found them a property manager. The property manager is doing a whole retrofit on the building of the foundation right now for the future fees of getting a renter in there. And already has a renter lined up. So we made that happen. So that advocacy thing is really, really, really critical. But I think there's a number of things. Um, that because merchants don't have time to go to a bunch of community meetings. I mean, they're yeah. working their business. They got kids, but I think neighbors getting engaged. We even have neighbors who, who are you know financing uh, help financing a restaurant here um, in their block, um, you know, with some bootstrap money. So there's a lot of stuff. Ilana Kadvani, the food writer for the Chronicle, reached out to us and asked us some of these strategies, and we shared that. Um, I think Kevin Fagan's article about the Castro right now and those teams that are helping the mentally ill is a model to take to this 
this issue, this plight. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's get concentrated mm-hmm. groups focused on each neighborhood because each neighborhood is different. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Hey, Alexis, do you mind if I jump in real quick? Yeah, um, sure. Go ahead, Chucky. Uh, so, uh, one is we do actually have a commercial vacancy tax, uh, that was passed in 2019. Uh, voters voted it in. It was on hiatus for a while after the pandemic because, uh, government blinked at the idea of, uh, taxing uh, building owners when business right. was in, in collapse, but it is back in effect now. The thing is, it's kind of a long-term help because a, a building has to really be vacant for quite a while. It's, it's, it can be up to two and, and maybe even three years before the tax kicks in, but we do have one. The other thing I wanted to mention, just as a public service to all the small businesses that are listening here, Michael mentioned grants, which are so important. The commission uh, actually just did a survey of small businesses, and uh, those results are about to be public. But one of the things that came up was only 16% of the businesses we surveyed had applied for an employee retention tax credit. This is a tax credit that pays, uh, basically refunds payroll taxes that you paid in up to $26,000 per employee. And I did a little back-of-the-paper napkin math, and if that 16% holds across the 50,000 small businesses in the city, which collectively employ uh, nearly 1 million employees, San Francisco is leaving billions of dollars on the table. There's literally billions of dollars of federal aid that's available to our small businesses that we're not yet chasing after. So outreach is is part of that doesn't necessarily solve the vacant storefront problem but uh, yeah. an, an yeah. important thing that i th- i think that has to be uh shouted out at every yeah. opportunity let, let me um wait, since we're talking vacancy taxes um alana Proust, have you seen vacancy taxes play out across the country and uh what do you think have they helped have they hurt how's it gone I think they're a great part of the solution and sort of a nod towards what everybody's been saying. There are a lot of different problems, but they all have different solutions that we can use. So we need the carrot and the stick, right? The carrot could be a matching grant for retro for outfitting retail space that has gone into disuse, um, just like we do facade matching grants. So Longmont, Colorado has a program like that that can be a model in every other community. There's a vacant property ordinance in Washington, D.C. that's been incredibly effective um, and very helpful to what's going on and the vacancies over time in that city. Um, we have other markets where it's really this question of who's in the pipeline, right? If you look in some neighborhoods, um, the storefronts, in fact, aren't the business owners aren't representative of the demographics of the community. We want to create more opportunity for more people. So how do we help more small business owners, maybe who have home-based businesses right now, ultimately be ready to be in bricks and mortar, to be in storefronts? There's a great program out of Baltimore um, called the Home Run Accelerator that helped small product businesses move from home based into storefronts. And it was training and it was funding and it was matchmaking with the property owners. And then we also have to work with the property owners. And I love that that came up already, right? Property owners don't understand how the market has necessarily changed. They might be legacy owners. They don't really understand that people need, in a lot of cases, they don't understand that businesses need smaller spaces and they don't understand how to get from where they are today to where they need to be. Um, And that education process needs to be a part of it. I think it's also been really important that people have brought up the clean and safe question a lot. And I think the question for the Bay Area is looking at business improvement districts that are often responsible for clean and safe. Um, But that's a funding question, right? Is there enough revenue in the market there? 
to be able to afford that. But we know that when there are vacant properties, this creates a property tax loss of about 20% in that area, mm-hmm. right? So yep. the, the cost to the whole neighborhood, let alone to the whole city and the services that the city is working to provide, there's vacant property, vacant ta- pro- there's property taxes that are lost, there's sales tax that are lost. And when we start ta- calculating that, something like a vacant properties ordinance or investing in some of these other programs starts making a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, uh, zoom out a bit here. Um, Kurt writes to say, you know, I've been in the real estate business in San Francisco for over 30 years. Our office manages over 100 commercial spaces here. We have no incentive to not have our client spaces leased, but let's face the facts. San Francisco's reputation as a dangerous place is well documented these days, as are the complexities and expenses to get permits and get a business up and running. Those are the primary reasons we can't lease spaces. Properties are mismanaged. Owners can be greedy, but that's not the rule. Small business owners who own residential income properties are sub Subject to gross receipts tax, personal property tax, business license fees, rent board fees. It's amazing how many ways the city can figure out a way to tax their business owners. And let's go to Carrie in San Jose, who has quite a different perspective. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Hi. Um, I'm trying to look at the bigger picture, and I see what's happening in our cities is indicative of the failures of our economic systems short-term focus starting with how we charter corporations for short-term gain if you don't have stable communities and we should be focusing on having stable communities because it's better for businesses big and small um, to have stable communities we're just going to be going round in circles with these kind of problems for a long time and i'd like to hear what your guests have to say about that yeah. You know, Heather, I, I'm I'm curious about your perspective on this one. I mean, in part, it's like the, it does seem like San Francisco is concentrating the highs and lows of the economic system in one place. <laughs> Definitely. Um, huge income inequality. Um, it's hard to make it even with, um, you know, two working parents and good jobs. And it's just such an expensive city. Um, I can't imagine trying to run an ice cream shop right now. It's hard as a journalist, <laughs> um, but I think, you know, the caller's right. We need to focus on, um, you know, s- stabilizing the community, cleaning our streets, making it a more pleasant place to live and to be. And um, just wanted to give a shout out to Green Apple Books who called earlier. I love Green Apple. And I think it's true that if we want, you know, productive, stable, happy neighborhoods, we need to put our money where our mouths are and pick, you know, your favorite small businesses and spend money there because otherwise they can disappear and and we'll blame ourselves. Yeah. Um, Eric writes in to say, I wish communities would come up with more radical ideas to solve the problem of empty storefronts and exorbitant rents for small businesses. Why not allow people to convert garages and other street-level spaces into micro-commercial spaces? I recently traveled around Asia where there are countless micro-businesses on every street, and I felt like the quality of life is much higher when you have more things accessible within the walking area in your neighborhood. The strict separation of commercial and residential zoning does not make much sense to me. We're talking here this morning about the residential, uh, the commercial vacancy problems that exist all across the Bay Area. We're joined by Heather Knight, columnist at San Francisco Chronicle, Sharky Laguana, former president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission, Alana Proust, founder and CEO of Recast City, uh, Ryan Mozek, president of the Mission Merchants Association, Michael Gaines, membership secretary with the Lower Hates Merchants and Neighbors Association. 
This is a fundraising period for public radio stations across the country, including KQED Public Radio, your hometown favorite. For more information on how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Sharky, I heard you uh, saying yes to the idea <laughs> of more radical solutions in micro storefronts. Um, into could my that, veins. Yeah. Could, could that work in a place like San Francisco or in a place like Oakland or Berkeley? I mean, it works in Japan. It works in Tokyo. It works in China. It works in Europe. It works all over the world. Why wouldn't it work here? I Like, somebody tell me why. I, I You know, it, a lot of the laws that are on the books are legacy from a post-war era where uh, you know, a lot of these buildings or or even going back a little bit further, post-World War One era when a lot of uh, houses in San Francisco were being built po- post uh, the pandemic. And there was a lot of thoughts about planning that uh, commercial interests and residential interests should be separated. And we're also racist and bad. Just to- well, that too, and, and redlining and, and all the other terrible things that happened. But is there any reason on... Any like rational experience of America that somebody couldn't say open a T-shirt shop in their garage? Like, what's the health and safety reason? What's the, uh, you know, how would that be a detriment to the community? Or serve coffee? Um, you know, I, I, there's a great uh, local coffee roaster who literally got started in their garage, and they're now uh, have just recently graduated to having a brick and mortar. Um, uh, location. I wish I could remember the name of the muff. It's something like Sunset Roasters or something. I'm, I'm garbling it. But the point is, by enabling people to just start little micro businesses in their ground floor of their homes, in their garages, you are unleashing a whole bunch of opportunity for entrepreneurship. And I just want to say that owning a small business is one of the most effective ways for uh, women and minorities to develop uh, financial independence. Uh, and it, it's such a powerful way for people to own a, a piece of the economy and, and be responsible for themselves. I, I just, it, it boggles my brain that we don't do more to make it yeah. easier uh, yeah. because of all the good things that come from it, employment and education and schools and, and access to community. And like, it's, it's just everything good, nothing bad. Absolutely. <laughs> stores and garages. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think you might have gotten it right that it is. There at least is a Sunset Roasters roasting coffee in the mission. And it's great. Thank you so much. Um, let's bring in one last caller, Michael in the mission. Bring us back to where we started, Michael. Hey, Alexis. Uh, first, I want to say I love the show. I've uh, been listening since you've been on, so appreciate oh, letting me so on. Much. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so I live, in, I live in the Mission, and um, like big uh, proponent of local businesses. I actually was trying to call in last time on restaurant recommendations, so I love, you know, love uh, eating locally. And actually, I'm a resident of the condo or the, the residency in the article um, <laughs> that Heather, Heather wrote about. And, you know, I... First off, Ed, I also appreciate your writing and a big fan as well. You know, um, you know, congrats on the scripts award and everything. I, I think you're Thank great, you. but I, I feel that I feel that the the article is uh, a bit biased in the situation. Um, just from my perspective as a as, as a resident, um, I don't think it painted the full picture 
Um, you know, I think Mr. Singor is great. You know, when I was actually moving in, he helped offered to help like move stuff up to the to the walk up and, and everything. But I, the correspondence or the the individuals he's been using or um, having contact the the residents have been less than cooperative. Um, it's not necessarily been him, but you know, there was a situation when we contacted a, I think it was a city consultant with the ABC uh, commission or ABC. I forget the actual uh, name, but it, they were just very unaccommodating, uh, like very rude and kind of, you know, less, less than neighborly. I think, um, you know, I think the consistency amongst residents is we'd be happy to cooperate and, add to the culture and, and the mission um, if, you know, it, it was more of a, a, conversation. a, a communicative process yeah. in that sense. Yeah, a conversation, exactly. Whereas it was, it was more so like, hey, we're moving in, you know, the noise is this loud. And, you know, I think an article mentions like it was 40 decibels. But the, the true story to that is they came in and they weren't allowing in the test to, to turn it up to the noise that we were actually hearing so of course it's going to be 40 decibels because they were controlling the the noise so you know just mixing all of that up again we love this up it's a great addition to the mission i love to eat locally we we all love it but you know if if a business is going to move in to a a location where we're going to run out of time i'm so sorry i I think michael you should get in touch with heather heather yes call me i reached out to all of the condo owners and nobody talked to me she wants to talk with you michael respond (laughs) (laughs) Um, we have been talking about problems with vacancies inspired by the article we were just talking about by Heather Knight, the column. We've also been joined by Sharky Laguana, former president of the San Francisco Small Business Commission, Alana Proust, founder and CEO of Recast City, LLC, Ryan Motzik, president of the Mission Merchants Association, Michael Gaines, membership secretary of the Lower Heights Merchants and Neighbors Association, and earlier we were joined by Alice Kim, co-owner of Joe's Ice Cream in the Richmond District in San Francisco. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for another hour ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2. New Folsom. 
a story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.